I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. And I'm Austin. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money. We will be talking real money with real people in a real way. Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise. Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hanger Studios, a New York City-based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all. Hi, I'm Paul Capsalis. I'm a former business owner, husband and father of three beautiful children, been married 29 years, and um, personal journey from a financial standpoint, I, I had a business that went under in 2006 and had the very unfortunate misfortune of, of losing all my money. I had $200 to my name and uh, slowly, slowly rebuilt my life along with my financial position and learned the hard way some great, what have become incredible, valuable lessons that I use 14 years later in, in dealing with what the entire world is dealing with today in terms of this pandemic and the economic negative impact that it's had on most of us, some more than others, but certainly impacted us in some small way or large way. And I, I think that there's a way to get out of it and there's, there's a way to get through it and see the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I'd like to share that with you. As you know, it was no way to prepare for it, and it did impact both my wife and I. I'm a commissioned salesman, so while things were really looking good in January and February, it came to a screeching halt in early March and um, basically went a couple months without any sales, which means no revenue coming in. And uh, coincidentally, my wife had just left her job of 13 years and kind of kind of jumped into a new venture right at the uh, about the middle of February. And it was in the food industry, and that went sideways as well. So we found ourselves in the middle of March, both of us duly employed and, and capable, but not producing any revenue uh, to no fault of our own, but based on the circumstances. So it was, a, it was a very scary time, and it lasted up to a couple months. March and April were very, very difficult from a standpoint of staying productive and, and figuring out how we're going to get through it and what's the next step. And those type of things that that go through your mind. So, we were definitely impacted by this. I wasn't furloughed. I wasn't laid off. It was a situation, and I guess, in some ways, a blessing. I mean, they were going to pay me if I could sell anything. The problem was nobody was buying. So it was a it was a catch twenty two to some degree, but I had security in the fact that I was able to continue my job. And as as the economy comes back, you know, I've, I've got a place to land. I just had to figure out how to get through the a couple months of no activity. So yes, I stayed employed. I stayed active. I stayed connected to customers. I just wasn't selling anything and generating any revenue. So that, that part was the only emptiness. The rest of it felt the same. And then, and then the other part of it, it was, it was obviously very quiet. I'm not a typical salesman, so I'm not always driving sales. And I was sensitive to the fact of what everybody's going through. So I was very quiet in my approach as well and letting time play itself out. So I was employed. I just wasn't able to, I just wasn't able to generate any, any income. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, Sherry and I owned a business. And in 2006, we lost the business. It was due to several factors, including the economy. And so 
I had that scariest day of my life on April 14, 2006, where the business was shut down and I was left with literally $200 to my name and 41 years old, a wife of three children, and literally had to really figure out that that's that was different than this pandemic. And I'll get to the to the reasons for that. For me personally, it was different. At that point, I was putting everything I could into the business financially and all my savings and all our life savings and and just trying to keep it alive because uh, a business doesn't shut down overnight. It was brewing and I was doing my best to keep it alive. But in the end, I, I just couldn't. So yes, I was prepared for the pandemic. I, I don't want to say that because I don't think anybody was prepared for the pandemic. But from a standpoint of financial fear and potentially ignorance, I had been through the worst thing in 2006 when when that happened to me. So the difference there between what happened then and today with the pandemic was you couldn't see this coming. You couldn't have predicted this in in a million years, right? Of the pandemic, nobody was prepared. It came out of nowhere and we all got hit at the same time. Back in 2006, you know, as I mentioned, it, it took a little bit of time to to brew that problem, right? It wasn't all of a sudden I woke up and, and was shocked. While it wasn't any more comforting knowing that it was over, it was still mentally I was I was fighting through that process and trying to to stay alive. And then how that relates to dealing with today, I mean, it, it really became a situation where back then in 2006, I learned how to maybe handle financial stress, uh, financial strain. It's a very, very scary thing. And I don't, I don't want to minimize that. It was It was the most difficult time in our lives. It impacted us financially. It impacted us emotionally, physically, and it it even impacted our marriage to some degree because it's a, it's a very scary thing. And as a father, making sure you want to provide for your children, it was, it was difficult. But the lessons I learned from that did prepare me for 2020. And I'm not sure, I, I guess I'm blessed to be able to say that. And the reason, the way it prepared me and us you know, it's a combination of approaches. It's a, there's a holistic approach to this, first of all, and, and mm-hmm. something like this will certainly test your faith. So it's, it's very important that you stay deeply rooted in your faith. I remember even back in 2006, it wasn't, why me? How did this happen? I didn't turn my back on my faith. I, I dug deeper into it actually, and, and really kind of found peace where I could in that, those faith moments in what was a, an otherwise hectic world. Secondly, you know, like, get out of bed, right? You got, you got to attack the day, even though there's not a day to attack. There's, you got to manufacture your, your attacks. You've got to get after your life and figure out where that next step is. Staying connected to relationships is, is absolutely critical. I think there's a tendency when things like this happen to put yourself on an island. And I think that's very mm-hmm. tough to take this on by yourself. It, it takes a village. So stay connected to relationships and the people who can help you stay hopeful more than anything. It's not necessarily looking for someone to, to drop you $10,000 to get through the next couple months. It's, it's more of, of the connectivity of someone who can offer you hope and hang in there and, and believe in you at times when you don't believe in yourself. And then there's a the last component is just staying present and not beating yourself up for the past and, and being upset at what might have gone wrong and certainly not worrying about tomorrow because today is, when you're in this situation, today has enough to worry about on its own, let alone thinking about tomorrow or three months from now or six months from now, what this could look like. So that's the, the holistic approach. And then from a practical standpoint, 
which is where we we just weren't as impacted by this by this pandemic because of the things that we did from a practical standpoint, which was we really started simplifying and, and rebuilding. And it kind of goes both ways. How, how do you you know it it wasn't like we had homes in four different places in the country and boats and yachts. We we were living pretty simple. It just it was a business that that didn't work out for me financially. So it's not like I could sell off assets and get back on my feet. I was left with nothing. But even within that, start simplifying and prioritizing and and slowly, slowly rebuilding. And you do that by making decisions about whether you're going out to eat or eating at home. And and we found ourselves making sacrifices in simple ways that helped us slowly, step by step, kind of rebuild some financial confidence, if nothing else. And then slowly started paying off some debt. We were certain that that was not a good situation to ever be in again, where we had debt that we couldn't manage. So one bite at a time, just slowly started picking away at debt. At the same time, trying to build an emergency fund, because we learned at that point that you've got to prepare for what might happen, even if it's unforeseen. So building an emergency fund, the goal was four to six months. And then the third component was to try on top of all that, build some sort of savings so that so that there is a ultimate building of the future as well. And that was a really delicate process because you really don't have anywhere to start. You don't you don't have anything. And it's can be very, very scary and daunting to think that you might ever get out of it. But what I found with the holistic approach and this practical approach was one step at a time, one day at a time, one relationship at a time, one payment at a time one great sale at a time helping you on the plus side was really a healthiest approach for us. And when we fast forward and the pandemic hit us this time and we went two months without income, we had done those things over the last 14 years. And I don't want to minimize it. It didn't happen overnight. If the pandemic hits us in 2008 or nine, I'm telling you a different story. But over the course of 14 years, we're able to slowly build up enough to where Two months wasn't gonna cripple us, and and I'm proud to say that because I think uh, I think we have to learn from our past and and improve on our past. So the two months that we went without didn't cripple us. It it was a little nerve wracking, and without seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, it can be a little scary. But we had done the things uh, in terms of our minds of what we thought we needed to do to to prevent this from happening again to us over the course of the 14 years. My biggest fear was was having that happen to me ever again. And I, I certainly wouldn't have predicted this scenario, but I'm sensitive that in some ways the, uh, the stove is still a little bit hot when it comes to my financial freedom. And uh, I still battle that every once in a while. So there were times through this period of two months that I was scared. I was, I was nervous again that it could, it could come back. One of the biggest obstacles to overcome is that is that you think you have to have money to have a financial expert in your life and and so there's a there's a little bit of um, pride or ego which both are enemies of course but it says well I don't have enough money to talk to an investor and and once I get x thousands of dollars then I'll reach out to an investor so sometimes we're found and again with me in 2006 you're, we're found kind of by ourselves in that regard and and we don't have that expert in our life it seems like those with money have the experts in their life. Those without 
money don't. And I think that that's something that we can cure right out of the gates. We, you don't have to have a huge book of or a large amount of money to start financial discussions. And there are plenty of resources out there of people that are willing to help young people or or people who have had problems getting back on their feet. So the first thing is, don't be afraid to reach out to these to these experts because they're there for a reason. And and in most cases, what I found in talking to them, and one of them was a very good college friend of mine, they're, they're more than happy to help you. They're sensitive and compassionate. And once you get over the embarrassment part of, of your own personal situation, which you think is dire, and they put it in perspective to say, oh, okay, well, here's what we need to do. And they don't beat you up and say, how could you? How dumb are you? How could you lose your money? What happened, Baba? Which is what you don't really want to hear. Instead, how can we help you? Paying off debt, building an emergency fund, and started thinking about long-term planning. The oxymoron is when you're going through the down cycle, those are counterintuitive thoughts because all you're trying to do is survive. But truly, if you can survive, get out of bed, make the day happen, and start accomplishing this second piece... Maybe it doesn't take you 14 years to get back on your feet. Maybe you can do a little bit quicker. So even in my experience, although I feel better about where I am today, I was even hesitant. I had to get over the part of embarrassment and failure and what people might think if I, if I tell them the truth and I have $200 to my name. What, what can I possibly do? Where can I possibly go? Get over that as quick as you can and tap into the people that can help you like financial experts. And they don't, you don't have to have a million dollars to have these conversations. And I found that that's when I really kind of broke through and started understanding that I'm not alone, that it's not the first time it's ever happened to anybody, that I don't have a, a letter on my head that people are staring at me when I walk out in public. You know, all those things that, that you think about, that starts the building process. So have those conversations right away. And, and today, let's have those conversations today with people in your lives that either are in the financial industry or others who have been successful financially that you can tap into who can then point you into some people that can literally give you the guidance and direction that you need. And it starts literally $1 at a time. I don't know how else to say it. It's really starting at the basis foundation. Whatever it is you have, start building on that. I wouldn't want anybody to be in the situation I was in. When you're thrown to the fire, you, you either you figure it out or you don't. I don't know how else to say that. In my case, I didn't have any other way. I, I'm an optimistic, hopeful person by nature. I think that helps. I'm trying to be a father and a husband and provide and keep it simple and build an emergency fund, it sounds daunting. Again, one day at a time. But really we simplified things. And again, I didn't own yachts and I didn't own homes. It, it, it wasn't that. It, as simple as our life was, we had to simplify even more. And there's a, there's a way to do that. Again, not going out to dinner and, and, and we weren't eating ramen noodles, but we were, we were being smart about our decisions and not, I think the biggest thing is to be truthful about the fact that it can happen and not continue to think that you're invincible and that that will never happen to me. And it's okay if we do this this one time, let's take this trip to Florida. It won't be a big deal. I mean, real sacrifice and even a better word, obedience is so critical. Obedience is different than discipline and sacrifice. Obedience is a real commitment to, to changing your life through your faith, through the decisions that you're making, through the way you live. And, and that's a whole process in and of itself because 
when any part of our life is out of whack, it, it tends to mean that other parts of our life are out of whack. And it could be a direct result of that. So while I was rebuilding a an emergency fund, I was also rebuilding my marriage, right? And rebuilding my relationship with my children. It's all so interconnected. Unfortunately, in society, and I, I, I'm guilty of this, money somehow has a grip on us that is different than anything else from my experience. That is like fearful. When I tell people that I've lost all my money, they, they look at me like, how are you sitting here today? It's a real scary thing. So again, once you get over that and put it in perspective and start building the things that are really important to you, the last thing I would have wanted to lose was, was a marriage over this or a relationship with children or my health, for example. There were times when I was you know, I went to the hospital one time with a sore neck and, and they told me I was having a heart attack. I didn't even know the stress that I was under based on the pressure that was put on me financially. So be honest about it. Don't act like we are invincible, I think. And then, and then this authentic and humility piece that says, I, I just want to, I'm not obsessed now with building an emergency fund, just like I wasn't obsessed with collecting a bunch of money in my business back in 2004 and five, but I'm aware of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm aware that it can happen. I'm sensitive to the fact that it's a possibility. And I'm just a little bit, not me, my wife and I are just a little bit smarter about some of the financial decisions that we make. And during that time, you're trying to also, you know, our goal was to put our kids through college. And so with $200 to your name, you can't even think of that concept. Well, we've been able to figure that out and, and do it. So simplifying, yet really committing to the things that are important to you. And by sacrifice and obedience, you can accomplish both. Hi there, everyone. This is Your World, Your Money. Today, we are talking money and crises and what we can really practically do to prepare for and make it financially through those big surprises. For example, global economy shattering surprise crises like the one we're currently in. And today to talk about this, you have me co-hosting with Lakita Ann. What's up, everybody? Excited to be here on this episode. Yay! So we just had Paul, who has been sharing with us his unique and insightful COVID financial journey. He was talking about his experience with business, the failure of his business, and how he and his family learned and grew from that experience to feel more resilient today during our current crisis. Paul referenced learnings like the power of communication, obedience to a goal once you've set it, living simply when they needed to, and building the foundation of his financial house while still being a husband and a dad to multiple kids. Talking about finances and crisis with us, because there really isn't a more timely topic, is our friend and guest, Laura Donovan. Laura is the founder of Sonda Financial, a financial services firm based in Wilton, Connecticut and Midtown Manhattan. Laura founded Zonda because she saw a need to help educate young professionals and millennials on the importance of planning for financial goals. And she wanted to create a place where people of all different backgrounds, occupations, financial situations, life experiences, and unique stories could feel welcome. Laura has been featured on CEO Blog Nation and is an expert contributor with Best Company. 
In 2019, she was named as a top millennial to watch by Westfair Publications Annual Millennial Awards because she's awesome. So hi, Laura. (laughs) Thank you for being on with us. We're so excited. Before we jump into the depths of talking about finances and crises, I'd love for you to share what Sonder means. I remember when you explained the meaning of the word at Sonder Financial's launch, and it was such an intentional and beautiful meaning. Yeah, thank you, Mary, so much for having me on today. I'm I'm really honored to to be here and get to chat with with both of you. So as as Mary mentioned at the Sonder launch party, which we had last fall. I did share the definition of, of the word sonder, and it actually comes from this word, which means that everyone has a story as unique and important as our own, and we really need to do a better job of listening to each other's stories and also sharing our stories. And when I came across this word, I really loved it, and it really spoke to me about the kind of culture I wanted to create in the financial firm that I was, that I was starting. Awesome. Can I just say though, I'm super impressed because I went to your website and I'm excited, especially by what Mary said about you working with millennials and young adults. So many financial firms are like running away from this group. So I think it's amazing because this is a group that definitely needs help. So kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. As a millennial myself, I think that it's something I I just intrinsically understand a lot of what we millennials are going through when it comes to our personal finances and our financial goals and I and I really do believe that while there are some in the older generations who kind of like to maybe write us off or say oh they're not very responsible in reality, what I found working with my clients and speaking with the people that I speak with, we really do care about our futures and saving for the futures and being financially secure. It's just that we have a very different set of challenges that previous generations just haven't had to face before. Absolutely. And something that Paul mentioned that I think is perfect because we're, we're talking about it here is bringing on a financial professional, whether it's through a friend or through a a firm or however you find them, it's not difficult. I think a lot of millennials think that it's really difficult to bring somebody on to help them with their finances or there'll be judgment there or there will be Mm -hmm. a whole lot of difficulty. And something I love that he said, because it speaks to this, was it's not that difficult and there really isn't any judgment. It's more along the lines of... And Laura, you can speak to this. It's, well, let's see how we can change course now to still meet the same goals because that's what matters, the goals. Exactly. And I do completely agree with that. I think there is a a very common misconception that, and Paul mentioned it in what he was saying, that you think you might need a million dollars to work with an advisor. And Mm. and in reality, that's just not the truth at all. I mean, some some advisors do kind of set minimums or whatever, but there's a lot of us out there, myself included, and a lot of other advisors who are happy to work with someone who, at the end of the day, just cares about improving themselves financially. I love what both of you said, because I can just think for myself, there were so many times in my past that I wouldn't have dared to call a financial <laughs> advisor because I was like, okay, I my mind says financial advisor and my checkbook says, no, thank you. <laughs> so it's kind of nice that you're telling people out there that it doesn't have to mean that you need millions of dollars and you shouldn't hesitate to reach out just because you're feeling reluctant because of money, which is what we're talking about. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah, because, and, and Paul mentioned this as well, you know, we're really not taught this stuff in schools. Mm-hmm. So most of us go through high school and a lot of us go through college without any kind of financial literacy or financial mm-hmm. education course. And I think that to then expect going into the quote unquote real world as quote unquote adults right in our twenties and expect to know how to do all these things and expect to know how to make these really big financial decisions, which can have ramifications later down your life. I think that that is kind of crazy and really backwards. And there needs to be somebody who's teaching us this. Yeah, definitely. What what do you think are the challenges? I'm just curious because there you said there's different challenges that millennials and young adults might be working with. What can you just tell us maybe one or two of them? Yeah, absolutely. So I really think student loans, and this is not, there's been a lot of studies and reports on this. Student loans are certainly a huge challenge for the millennial generation and young young professionals. You know, my grandmother passed away a couple years ago and we were cleaning out some of her old papers. And I found her tuition card from when she was in college. And she went to a school out in Indiana. It was a state school. And it was really cute. It was like a little like index card, basically. Her tuition for the year was $640 for the year. And that included her books. And that included like an extra, she did like a typewriting course. So that included like an extra charge for typewriting. And I just remember seeing this and going like, oh my gosh, I have clients who easily have $600 a month in student loan payments. Absolutely. And when you have that kind of debt hanging over you, when you graduate from college, you really are limited as to how you can spend or save the rest of your income. So I think that that's that's one of the bigger challenges that we're facing. And I think in light of the current crisis that we're in right now, you know, financially, I think that there's there's so many people who really are struggling right now across the board and I and I think everyone's life in some way has been affected by this Absolutely. global health pandemic. I have a a good friend of mine who said we might all be in different boats but we're all in the same storm. And mm-hmm. I think that that really spoke to me as I as I work with clients and and speak with friends and family, you know, I think there are some people who are doing okay. Like their life may not have changed too drastically since everything started shutting down. And then I, I know other people who are absolutely just completely struggling, both financially, maybe also mentally yeah. and, and dealing with all of this. So when she said that phrase, same storm, different boats, that really resonated with me about how this pandemic is really affecting so many people. Yeah, that's powerful. And thinking about that, because of course, this is such a unique crisis to be in currently. But when we think about financial crises in general, is there kind of a list of things or a a through line that we see fairly often when it comes to finances and what happens to people financially, like, are there things that we can kind of identify like, yep, that'll probably happen. Or no matter what it is, this is something that I can kind of look out for. Yeah, I think there's, there's absolutely some things people should keep in mind as we're navigating this current crisis. And for honestly, any future crises that might come down the road. And for those who are listening, who might've lived through the 08 financial crisis as well, I I think there are similarities amongst all of those times. And keeping it at a very individual, like what does this mean to me as an individual or as a family and looking at it in that perspective, I think 
very similarly to Paul's story when he shared that he basically lost everything Yeah, when his business had to close. And he really wasn't prepared for that. And that in a way, it sounded like it, it helped him be in a better place today to help navigate through this crisis, right? So I think the lesson there is is really have a kind of a plan for mm. future crises because ultimately we can never predict what's going to happen. We nobody could have seen that right now we'd be in this this current pandemic that we're in. And I think having having a plan for we don't know what could happen, but if something does happen, we're going to at least be able to weather the storm. I think building a plan for that is really important. How to do that is not easy, but it's also not it's not hard. And I think Paul had a really great term he used where he said that it's not discipline, it's obedience, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's really yeah. this idea of, it's not so much, a, to me, discipline's a very negative kind of, like you're being forced to do something and it's really hard to do and you don't like doing it. So it's <laughs> not so much that it's discipline, Obedience, on the other hand, has, in my mind, at least a more positive connotation. Like I'm doing something I know is going to be good for me in the long term, regardless of what happens. And ultimately, if if we're able as individuals to kind of put a plan in place, regardless of what might happen, even if nothing bad ever happens again to any of us <laughs> ever, right, for the rest of our lives, we're going to honestly sleep better at night knowing that we we are prepared. So I think that preparation prior to being in a crisis is really key, but it's also, I recognize that it's really hard for for people to, to kind of know what that means and to honestly be able to afford to prepare. Mm-hmm. That's a big one that you said, afford, because I feel like right now, so many people are like Paul, things like that happened. And they're also frustrated because they are working really hard. They're barely making it some people. And then they're also trying to figure out how to save. So when you say plan, people are like, okay, what's the plan? What's the plan? So how could you tell people in a very simple way, even if it's just one thing to get them started or two things that that they can do now without having a lot of money, without having financial advisors? What can they do on their own to put a plan in place? Yeah, I think there's a couple of steps that are pretty simple to do. And the the one thing I always share with clients that I work with or, or with friends who might ask me is really try to get accurate as to what you actually need or what you what you kind of spend or your cash flow mm-hmm. needs are each month. Because I think that for a lot of people, finance is such a taboo subject and we really are trained to never think about it or talk about it. And sometimes we also have this bad habit because of that. I really think it's because of that where we will, in essence, not even want to look at our own financial situation because we're so scared to what we're going to see. And in reality, what I found working through this this exercise with a lot of the people that I've I've got to work with over the years is when you actually like peel back the curtain and look at what's actually going on, most people there is a sense of relief because mm-hmm. sometimes we we build something up to be way worse than it actually is. And just getting accurate and understanding this is what my fixed expenses are each month. This is what my rent or my mortgage, my utilities, like this is what I know I have to cover. Here's what I like to spend money on. That's what that much costs, right? And just really get accurate as to what that monthly cash flow number is. Mm -hmm. Get accurate as to what do you have in savings. If there was an emergency, how many days, weeks, or months will that savings cover, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that number? 
get accurate as to you know what you might have in other savings accounts like retirement plans and things like that. Get accurate on your debt situation. That exercise can be very, very scary for people, but I, I generally do feel once you have a good sense of what the facts are, it does help take away the emotion behind mm-hmm. behind that. And it's a little bit easier from that point to then really come up with, okay, what are one or two things I know I can do to improve the situation? So for me, it's it's really that that accuracy, which is the first step, and knowing that for for some people we might be making it way worse than it actually is in our heads. Or alternatively, there are some people who are maybe thinking they're in a way better spot than they actually are. But that accuracy is key. And and knowing that there's really there needs to be no guilt or shame around whatever that that yeah. truth is. Yeah, I when you're speaking about this, it just really resonated for me because one one thing that you mentioned that just is something I constantly work on for myself and for others, like I'm a work in progress when it comes to my finances. Like I'm building my big emergency fund. I'm working on my debt. I am a work in progress there. But when you're on Instagram or social media, you see people say, Oh, I'm I'm a proud work in progress for mental health, for their body, for their career, for all of these things. But you never see people give themselves the space to say, I'm a proud work in progress for my finances. So but, true. You know, I, I want to give that space and be like, you can be a proud work in progress. Like we're not perfect. And if we give us, we give each other all that space in other things, why not in finances too? Like yeah. I'm proud yeah. to say I'm working on it because that means I have a goal that I'm going to get to and we give it all of the space and it's okay to give that space for finances too. Absolutely. But Mary, maybe you can be starting the movement <laughs> because <laughs> I seriously starting this movement because it yeah. is something that nobody wants to talk about. And I think for me, the light bulb sort of went off when in my life I started making the decision about only buying things that I could afford and really paying Mm -hmm. attention to budgeting. It was like something that, of course, I learned the hard way. I remember in college taking this lovely trip to Paris and (laughs) I didn't really have the money. I was in college. Come on. I didn't have the money to be going on this like lovely rendezvous type trip in Paris. I come back and I was broke, right? So I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like 19. I come back and I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm flat broke because I made that decision to take the money to go to Paris. And of course, like now I would have never done that, but we learn from our mistakes. And now I'm just feel like I'm making smarter decisions, but I think we have to help people to have the space to do that, to feel comfortable, to not be embarrassed. And another thing that many people have been asking me, maybe you can shed some light on this for us, is people don't know what is, for example, an emergency plan or fund, what is, should it be three months? Should it be six months? Of course, everybody wants it to be five years, but in reality, what would you suggest for people? You know, I think that for, for every individual, the answer should be a little bit different because I think that everyone's financial life is different. And so the way I typically look at what is an appropriate or like how much should should somebody have in in a quote unquote emergency fund and all that really is in my mind is really a savings account that you don't use unless you absolutely have to because there's an emergency right so it's really nothing more than that in my mind and there's a lot of articles and industry standards of maybe the 6 month mark is kind of where everyone should strive to have 6 months of your expenses in in the bank for some people that number is daunting and seems impossible to even 
begin saving towards. And when when something seems so impossible and daunting, we tend to just ignore it or not do anything. <laughs> so I think it really it can be a, a more individual based um, answer. The the range I typically give is ideally we would like to have somewhere around, you know, maybe three months on the low end, three months of our cash flow needs up to a maximum of maybe one year of um, those cash flow needs in the bank. And I think that for some people, you know, some people really worry about not having that instant liquidity, especially those who are in more variable lines of work, like uh, maybe entertainers and performers or business people or entrepreneurs, where they might feel more comfortable having that full year, knowing that they can maybe survive a whole year if something were to happen. Other people, on the other hand, who have maybe more stable jobs, they might be going, you know what, I feel I feel like my money should be making more money for me. So I'm going to, I'm more comfortable having the three months. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there are people out there who don't have this emergency fund built yet or are wondering how to even get started, I think, again, getting accurate as to what that monthly cash flow need is, is good because then you have a goal to work towards. And I generally just say, if the three month number seems too impossible to reach, cut it in half or cut it in a third, set yourself a a mini goal that you can, you can feel comfortable in, in achieving. And there's some pretty simple to implement ways to start tricking yourself into saving money. Because I think for a lot of us, The one maybe positive thing out of a lot of this current crisis we're going through is I think a lot of people are are starting to learn, and and I count myself in this group, that we probably don't need to spend as much money as we used to, Mm -hmm. and that we actually don't need to maybe be going out every every weekend out for dinner or for drinks or whatever that might look like and i think we're we're becoming maybe a little bit thriftier mm-hmm. as a population mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a, a bad thing in terms of personal finances right and so something that's really easy is saying for every dollar that i receive i'm going to save a percentage of that automatically and you can choose that percentage i mean i think 10% is a really easy number to work with just cuz it's a very round number but if that seems too high, you can certainly do whatever percentage you like. But I think just starting to build those good habits, that's really what's going to set you on the path for success is really getting in the habit of saving a little bit consistently every month. So whether you say, you know, I want, I'm going to save a certain dollar amount of every paycheck, or you say, I'm going to save a certain percentage of every mm-hmm. bit of money that I, I get coming in. Either way can work. A lot of banks now will help you in automatically doing that for you. So you can set up like an auto, take 10% out of this paycheck every mm-hmm. two weeks and put that into my, my emergency savings account. So, I, you know, I think automate as much as possible and just get in that habit and, it's really about starting with what seems doable right now and increasing that over time, but getting in that habit. Because what I say to people that I'm working with, the first few months, we may notice it, right? Like we're going to miss those extra dollars, but generally by month three or month four, we're going to completely forget that that money totally. even existed. And a year from now, we're going to look at that bucket of money and go, wow, like we actually have money there where before we had maybe nothing. Yes. So I think it's, you know, it's that habit and it's also being realistic and picking something that you, you know, you can actually commit to doing. Yeah. I love this. Can I just say all of this that you said, (laughs) especially 
the habit, my personal favorite is the 10%. And folks, let me tell you, it's also very exciting. I happened to pay myself first after I read a book years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like exciting and I feel empowered because every bit of money that I get before I give it to anyone, I'm like, I'm taking out my 10%. And it's something that you just get used to doing. I don't care if it's a dollar or $10,000, whatever it is, you take out your money and put it somewhere safe. So awesome. I love all of those tips. But a couple of tricks that worked really, really well for me were there's apps that will round up the change and that doesn't seem like much, but it does get you started to that place where it's like, you might miss it, but you're not going to, you probably won't notice that to start, but you will notice when you start to save money. So you might be like adding change and you might not miss that change, but eventually you will notice that like, oh, I suddenly have $10 this week that I say, how did I, that happened? Cool. And then there's apps that do that and even some banks that do that. So if you have a bank and you're like, well, I don't want to download an app or I don't want to go through all that trouble, go into your banking app and and look and see, because a lot of banks have this too. So there's lots of tricks if you go into your app or if you even go in and ask a banker that make it really easy to start this process so that If you are really in this place of, I can't spare 10% yet, or that three month number is super daunting, even when I cut it, there's a way to get started literally with just cents and dollars that you won't notice those. But eventually at the end of the week or at the end of the month, you're going to be like, wait, wait, I I have $10. I have 20. How did that happen? And you're going to be like, I did that. I did that. Yes. And that's just such an incredible feeling. I think everyone here can be like those moments when you start to see Mm -hmm. money saving and knowing that you did that, you actively created that for yourself is such a huge moment. I remember yeah. that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a grown up, guys. I'm a grown up. Like, like, I love it. I love what you said. Mary, just about them understanding and everybody understanding really that there's a lot of small ways that you can start. Yeah. And and to get that momentum, like I, I like to think about it as momentum because going back to what Laura was saying that those emergency fund numbers can seem so daunting. Like I know that my goal emergency fund is a very daunting number. I was like, wow, that's how much six months. Oh, Uh, so like, it's a very daunting number. And so I love the idea of creating momentum because I know, again, it doesn't work for everyone. We're each our own person, but for a lot of us, when we start to see those successes, it's like, wait, okay, if I was able to do that, every week or every month, maybe now I can do that 10% of my paycheck. Maybe I can do that a little bit more that gets me closer and closer and closer to that Mm -hmm. three month or that six month or whatever that big scary number that's not going to be scary anymore because we're making it, we're making it accessible. (laughs) It'll be. (laughs) Yes. I mean, going back to our conversation about what are some of the challenges millennials are facing, I think it it is that we we have a lot of these competing priorities and it can be really tough once you get your paycheck and you've paid for rent or, or, I mean, most young, most millennials are renting right now. So I can say we've paid for rent or maybe, maybe a mortgage and we have what's left over, how to decide like, where should this money really be allocated? Again, I think looking at it from a we're in a crisis perspective, right? That's where we are right now. I think the the top priority really should be 
making sure that financially we'll be okay in the short term. And so Mm -hmm. that means making sure that we're comfortable with the amount of money that we have set aside for emergencies. I mean, with the number of people that are unemployed right now, which is just like an absolutely staggering number, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we're in a really a scary time, maybe for lack of a better word, for a lot of people. And I think that like Paul's story where he went through that experience and kind of had to learn maybe the hard way. I think there's going to be, unfortunately, a lot of people that are maybe learning the hard way right now. So while it might seem impossible or, or crazy to suggest that we need to be saving more for, for short term. I think that that is important, you know, in terms of looking at, at debt, I think that, you know, if there's student loans, which have been, if there are federal loans, we have until September to start needing to start putting money back into those, which is great. Maybe we'll get another extension on that. I don't know. Nobody can really say what's going to happen there. So I think in terms of other kinds of debt, though, like credit card debt, I think looking at what the interest you're being charged is, trying to make minimum payments, because the one thing that I think some people forget is in the long term, having a good credit score is really important. And in this pandemic, I think what I worry about is is how maybe missing payments or things like that can negatively affect someone's credit credit score and and how lenders are willing to lend to them. And that can become a, like a really bad snowball effect down the road when, say, we're out of this pandemic, things are better, and now we want to go buy a house, but, oh, our credit is terrible because we suffered in the 2020 pandemic. So I think making sure that we're making, at the very least, minimums on all the credit cards, a lot of companies are negotiating right now, so calling them up and negotiating with them if, if you need to, to see if they can reduce what those payments are. I think those are all things we need to keep in mind as we as we kind of move through this current crisis. So it's, you know, if you have the ability to save money, obviously, if you have the means and ability to maybe cut expenses that you've kind of forgotten are there, subscriptions are like a really sneaky thing in our in our cash flow that we kind of forget <laughs> about. So I know like even even for myself personally like at the beginning of every January, I usually go through and look and see what subscriptions I have. And there's always one or two that I totally forgot about that I am like, Oh, why am I, I don't even use this. Why do I, why am I paying for this? And I cancel them. So like, that's something I think every, everyone, it's a good experience just to kind of go through that and make sure that you're, you're happy with where those dollars are going. And then if you're, if you're feeling, you know, like, you're kind of in the midst of it right now and and maybe saving is just impossible to think about. I think it's really trying to find ways to protect that credit score so that when we do get out of this, at least you're not so like being set back that way. I actually love what you were saying about the subscriptions. And this is like a a little trick I, I keep handy because I am so notorious for that. You would have had a field day looking at the subscriptions I canceled. I now literally, so you know how you always have that like trial period? It's like, try for one week. Oh, those are the worst. Those are the worst. I literally go in my phone and if it's seven days, I count six days. Or if it's one month, I do like 20-ish days. I put a calendar in in my phone and like, it's literally not even a reminder. Like, no, no, we like sincerely need to remind Mary to do this. So I will literally go in and put like, an invite in my calendar cancel the subscription before it charges you $80 and I'm like yep mm -hmm, cool so I love that you were saying that because I was like that is something I'm notorious for but that was kind of like this really incredible 
priority list for things that we can do in a crisis or in crises. What's a priority list or what's just the top bullet points for anyone in general? And I know that's really tough to do because we all have such different financial stories. But I think about like uh, single parent households right now and maybe mom or dad lost their job. Or I think about single millennials that might have lost their job and hadn't been saving in advance. So what is like the top priority list? It can literally be like three things, but we can do to prepare before a crisis. And I say that with the understanding that like we wouldn't know when a crisis is coming. So like preparing for them, knowing that they can happen, like hurricane, pandemic, you know, pick one. (laughs) But what can we do like that top list? It's like, what can we do in advance that's good for us, but also kind of gives us that insulation, that buffer when a crisis hits? Yeah, I think there's... There's, in my mind, there's really three three top things that would apply to most people. So I would say the first is on the protection side of things. So this would be looking at your insurances. I mean, mm. that's something nobody likes to talk about, which I understand. <laughs> but that, in my mind, it really is the like the bedrock of a strong financial plan is is making sure that if worst case scenario were to happen in terms of maybe health, dying before your time or before you might expect to, some kind of crazy car accident, if you have a car, some sort of a accident in your apartment where maybe there's a fire or a tree falls on it or something like that, or your house. So, you know, the first thing is really making sure that we're covering those kinds of things, right? Financially, at least. And really all, all insurance really is, is we're transferring the risk from ourselves to a pooled group of people, right? Who are all pooling their money together to then protect a larger amount of people. But, I mean, that's really all insurance is. It's, it's a transfer of risk. So, you know, in my mind, I... I think transferring as much of that risk away from ourselves personally as possible is a good thing within reason. So I think going through all of those things and making sure that you have, um, you know, if you rent, do you have a renter's insurance policy? Mm-hmm. This literally can cost like seven to $10 a month. Don't quote me on that. But like, that's, I know <laughs> that I have clients who are, who are paying that number that will protect your stuff. If there's a fire or a flood or a tree falls on the building or whatever might happen. I and mean, it's such a small monthly dollar amount that most people should be able to kind of check that one off the list. I know I I'd also say making sure we have the other insurances too, like health insurance. If you have a family, I do think life insurance is an important thing to look at disability insurance and, and things like that, right? So make sure that we're transferring the risk. So that's kind of the first the first of those bullet points is transfer as much of the risk of, oh my gosh, something bad's going to happen mm-hmm. away from you and share it with a pooled resource. So that's really the first one. The second I would say would really be that emergency savings. And it really, that can be you know, if an emergency happens tomorrow and all we have is $200 in our bank account, that's your emergency savings number, right? So it's hard to know when we might need that money. But I think to the points we've said earlier, looking at maybe a 10% of every bit of money you mm-hmm. receive goes into that account or a fixed dollar a month every month 
or however you you personally feel is best for you. But I think tricking yourself into hopefully <laughs> automatically putting that money away and then putting it in an account where maybe maybe it is in a different bank account that you don't log into all the time. So you kind of forget it's there, right? That's a good way to kind of trick ourselves into doing that. So that would be the second thing is making sure we have some short-term savings available should we need it for something. And the third thing is preparing for future crises. I do really think that looking at long-term savings is also important. While it may not help us or might be difficult for that bit of it to help us in a crisis like the one we're in right now, a very different kind of crisis we all might face is retirement. And while it might be really crazy to talk about that as we're moving through a global pandemic, I think uh, it's really it's really about getting in the habit of saving every month if possible away for those long-term goals and not losing out on the compound interest because once you have like a 10-year window to retirement or 15-year window, it gets significantly harder if you really haven't saved anything. It gets significantly harder to put away mm-hmm. what you need. And that could also be considered, in my mind, that could also be considered a crisis of not being able to retire or being forced to work way past the time you wanted to. So I think, you know, it's kind of that those three things. It's really focusing on the protection side of the equation, make sure we're transferring as much mm-hmm. risk away as possible. It's building up that emergency savings. And it's also like not forgetting, oh yeah, we should also be saving <laughs> for retirement along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned compound interest twice, and I know there's someone somewhere frantically typing in Google, trying to figure (laughs) out what compound interest is. Can you just tell everybody in a very simple way what compound interest is? Yeah. So the best way I found to describe it, and, and definitely search it in Google too, but the best way I found to describe it is to picture a mountain and picture a snowball right? And so at the very top of the the mountain, we have a little snowball that we've put together and maybe it's, you know, can fit in our hands and we're going to push it down the mountain. And every month and every year, it's going to, as it goes down this mountain, the snowball is going to get bigger and bigger because more snow is sticking to it, right? And by the time we get all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, it's this massive, big, huge snowball, right? Maybe the size of a, I don't know, like a picture like a two-story house or something, right? So that's really what compound interest in my mind is. It's really that the money you're saving is going to make more money for you and it's going to compound or like grow larger and larger every single year that it's doing that. And so if we think about that mountain analogy, if you have a really, really tall mountain, you have the potential to amass a really, really large snowball at the bottom of that hill, right? Maybe your snowball is actually more like a small hill itself. If you have a really, really short mountain... This is my um, snowball hill. Yeah, my snowball hill. If you have a really, really short mountain... Maybe, maybe it doesn't get quite that large, right? And so that's why the time, the time is such an important thing because the longer we have, the larger it's going to grow. And the shorter we have, the smaller it has the potential to grow. So that's, that's kind of my analogy on how to think about compound interest. Yeah. And there's one of certainly the most interesting. Way, more, way more technical <laughs> ways to describe it that you can search on Google. Actually, I liked your description of it. Yeah. it. I have to say, I've heard about compound interest for a very long time, and that's one of the most interesting <laughs> descriptions that I think I've heard. So I, I like that. I'm going to go with your mm. description. Thank you. Yeah. And going back to Laura's priority list. So we have the three things that Laura shared. So like preparing 
pre-crisis, you know, life, we're, we're in life, but preparing pre-crisis. So Anne, what would be like your one thing to add to our list? If you could think of something in your life, what would that one thing be? Yeah. So for me, it would probably be managing expenses. So Mm. that's one of the things that we've been talking about. It's very difficult to save or do any of these other things if you can't manage your expenses and if they're too high, for example, compared to the amount of money that you make. This is this sort of like hamster wheel that you're running around, right? Yep. So that would be mine. Yeah. I think that's a really common, a common one for sure for so many people. Yeah, definitely. So we've got insurance, savings, and then we had savings for like long-term, like retirement Mm -hmm. and managing expenses. And then I'm going to top off our list with the fifth thing and just say communication to anyone and everyone, because I think that while some of us have spouses and kids, we don't talk to them about money and we need to talk to them. But also if you're like me and I, I don't have a spouse, I don't have kids, I tell my friends I even tell my friends, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm working on. And they help me. And if they don't help you, they might not be the best friends to keep around. But that's a different conversation. So even if it's just communicating to your friends or your mom and your dad, I think that is just so important Mm -hmm. that you have that system that reinforces everything that you're doing. Because what you're doing is important. And you need the people around you to reinforce that and help. You don't need them to detract. They need to be there to support. And so I think that's what I'll top it off with is communication. So as just like a, a closing note, Laura, is there like one thing that you'd want to highlight? I know we, we've literally created lists, which I'm such a bullet point list person. So for those people out there that are not list people, I'm so sorry. I totally am. Um, <laughs> so we've literally created like the in crises list, the pre and I'm obsessed with it. I think I'm going to write these all down very momentarily. But is there like one thing that you would go back and look back on what we were sharing and be like, you know what? That's something that I think is so crucial. I just want to say it one more time before we we close out. Yeah. The one thing that I think everyone, regardless of what boat they're in right now in this in this store, if we use that analogy again, that everyone really should remember is that we can all kind of begin again. And I think Paul's story really <laughs> shared that in a very, you know, he shared that in a very personal way. And so even if you're coming to the table looking at your finances and you're feeling embarrassment or remorse or regret, I think the important thing is to still come to the table, try to leave those feelings behind and look forward. Because I, I really do think that with making some small changes to to your daily habits, whether it's, look, I'm going to auto save 10% or I'm going to put a dollar a day away, like whatever, whatever it is, that's a great start. And you should feel really, really good about making mm. that, that start. And I think we're all constantly changing and growing and our relationship to money can certainly change and grow with us. And so whatever we might have experienced in the past, I think it's okay to give yourself permission to say, you know what, that was in the past and I'm starting a new future now and I'm going to start a new relationship with money and I'm going to do this one small thing and that's going to set me on my way. That is a beautiful note. I can't say I can't say anything better than that. That is a beautiful note to end on. Yes, I think so as well. (laughs) Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much, Laura. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money. 
You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Global Thinking Foundation USA. Be sure to rate and review us and you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com. Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. See you next time.